Brilliant. So hello and good afternoon, as it turns out. Um, my name is Theo Blackmore. I'm from Disability Cornwall and the Isles of Scilly. Um, perhaps we'll go around and introduce ourselves. If I could start with Claire. Hi, Theo. Thanks very much for inviting us on for International Women's Day. We're delighted to be here. Um, I'm one of the original founder members of Winvisible back in the 80s until now. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Uh, Tracy? Hi, thank you, Theo. Yes, thank you for asking us to come and speak for International Mother's Day. My name is Tracy and I am the coordinator of the Disabled Mothers' Rights Campaign which is organized by Winvisible. And um, we seek to um, uh, change the stance that mothers are harmful to their children because of their disability. And so we campaign quite strongly against this. And I will say to you that I am a mother. I have an invisible disability and I have faced this discrimination myself. Thank you very much. Um, and, um... I introduce Kalechi. Hi, hi everyone. Hi, hi Tio. Um, my name is Kalechi. I'm Kalechi Chioba, and I'm with Invisible, and also I work with Tracy on the SNS and Twitter Storm, and yeah. Thank you very much. And yeah. to to let people know if who are listening on the podcast or watching on the YouTube, Kalechi's on a bus. So if you hear any background noise, then it might be something going I'm on. Now I'm, I'm home now. <laughs> oh, you're home now. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, I got <laughs> and finally, can I introduce Emmy? Hi, um, I'm Emmy. So, yeah, I attend actually. I attend Wind Visible as um, a disabled mother. Um, and I'm involved with some of their campaigns and really, actually, just really seeking support from them for my own um, issues around disability and around um, in the courts with my children. So, yeah. Thank you. So thank you all very much for introducing yourselves. Um, we're both on Zoom, um, which will go onto YouTube so people can see us all. And also we're on a podcast, so the majority of people might only hear what we're saying. So perhaps because there's four, um, four of you, then when you're talking, you could introduce yourselves each time just to say who you are so that we're aware of different voices. Um, so Claire, I spoke... Um, I contacted you in the first instance because of the name of your organisation, Win Visible, and I'd seen it. And I'm not sure there's any other organisation like you in the country. So perhaps would you explain who you are and what you do? Yeah, we're, we're a grassroots multiracial organisation of women with visible and invisible disabilities. And um, we do um, self-help support, um, casework and campaigning, and many of our campaigns are based on the problems that we're facing ourselves, as well as highlighting the situations of women who face multiple discrimination because we're also women of color, as well as being disabled, we're also mothers, as well as being disabled and so on. And um, we, um, we take a self-help approach, which is where Women are in charge of their own case and decide what they want to do, but they can draw on the collective experience of the whole group and back up from the organisation. So, for example, 
Um, there's a grandmother in Ter Hamlets who's challenging care charges. And um, we're backing her up with writing to the council and um, pointing out um, the, the impact of the charges and uh, the contribution that she makes as a kinship carer for grandchildren, which is being ignored. Um, so, um, you know, putting forward disabled women's benefit rights and rights to support and to challenge discrimination of all kinds. And so I, I asked you before where you are based and you're based in London. Does, does the, does the organisation yes. only, only work in London? No, we have a, we have a London wide and a UK wide network. Um, we're based at the Crossroads Women's Centre together with a number of other organisations and we um, we have exchanged between the organisations as well and work together where um, we have common cause. And um, so because of our blog, um, we are contacted by women from all over who are not finding appropriate support in their local area or have been turned away by advice organisations saying they can't help or it's their own fault. Um, if their benefit has been cut off because they didn't attend the appointment, things like that. Thank you. And Tracy, you said something about um, the Disabled Mothers Network. Yes. So um, about sort of 18 months, nearly two years ago, uh, when Visible started a project called the Disabled Mothers Rights Campaign, and I came on board to be the coordinator of that campaign, um, I bring to that campaign my own experience because I have faced the discrimination that mothers find in family court myself with uh, as a mother with an invisible disability and also a child with a genetic condition, not the same condition as mine. Um, and what we find um, in family court and social services is the discrimination that disabled mothers face. Um, automatically, disability is seen as harmful to children and that in, for some reason, they have got to protect these children from our disabilities. Now, there are um, obviously, as everyone probably listening would know that there are rights such as the care act people are entitled to support within the community there's also rights under the children's act where uh, the family again can get support within the community and these become ignored in favor of the fact that um disability is just seen as harmful in some way um recently um we worked with channel five and we had a, pro, a news article that was aired on the 25th of January. And um, and it, out, out of that, there was a lot of, we had done Freedom of Information, Channel 5 have done Freedom of Information. And uh, the, the information that came out of that is, is information that isn't out there in the public domain or wasn't out there until our programme aired. 
And that, uh, for example, mothers with learning disabilities, that could even be mild learning disabilities, are 54 times more likely to have their children taken into care. Now, this is this is not a new situation to us. It's something that we see with all the disabled mothers that we work with. I've also faced it myself. Um, and so it was quite important to get that information out there. People listening might think, well, you know, they don't take your children because of this. Surely they don't take your. How how can they get away with taking their cho your children because you're disabled? Um, what people might not understand is the family courts are closed, and so what goes on behind there is not in the public domain. I myself have faced that, so <laughs> I have personal experience of that. And then you as a mother are gagged. So you can't talk to the press. You can't tell the press. In fact, you can't even tell your own mother what's going on in the family courts. Um, and it's it's quite severe and harsh. Women with disabilities, whether it be mental health, whether it be learning, whether it be physical, are not receiving the right support in family court. The support is there, but they're not receiving the correct support. They are not receiving the access that they should be entitled to. So, for example... If you're blind, you can't see the paperwork in front of you. You need someone to read stuff to you. Or if you're deaf, you would need a you would need someone signing for you. Um, these are sorts of things that that people aren't having. There there are protections within the family court to give them the protection. But what was found is that the women weren't being given these protections. But because of our Channel Five piece, and we must claim it as a victory for. For disabled mothers out there, 13 days after that was aired, uh, the president of the family court, who has never, ever spoken about disability in the family courts, suddenly made a huge statement. He's never spoken about this before, about, oh, you know, we've got this to help mothers and this works really well and this would help disabled people in court. Um so on the back of that, there has been some movement and we have noticed also since Channel 5 has aired, the recent appeals going through for disabled mothers, all of a sudden the recent appeals are being heard, whereas before they were just dismissed out of hand. So there's been a, a, a slight change for the better and we as mothers must claim this victory for ourselves, for all. I think also mothers. with the... Also with the Channel 5, one of the mums in the campaign group, Jean, Jean Evely, yes. mm. um, spoke about the forced adoption yes. that she had gone through with with her daughter. And now, now they're reunited because Ty, she and Ty contact each other over Facebook after Ty was 18 and they're now they're now back in contact. Um and so you know, Jean has really, by speaking out, Jean has really established that forced adoptions mm. is not just a scandal of the past. Yeah, it is happening now, and the scandal with of her, now. with her situation, they said that her child was going to be her carer in future and should be saved from that fate. That was the whole um, basis of the forced adoption. But as we know, Theo, if you're given your rights under the Care Act, the child would not be your carer because you would have that facility already mm. given to 
do, and particularly under Section 12 of the Care Act, where they're supposed to take into account that your children in your family life. Um, but we know that that is not what is happening out there, and that's why these sort of situations are getting they're getting away with them. But I also want to say, just with Jean's case, for example, what people think. Uh, maybe the general public think that yeah. oh children are adopted and it's all rosy yeah. and it's a happy situation but as yeah. in Jean's case and as in many adoption cases yeah. um it's not happy in fact the her daughter was abused by her her then adoptive family and we do know that um at least a third of adoptions break down while a third have problems and only really a third stay settled um and that's something else that the general public aren't aware of i think there's a wrong information there about about um our children be taken children be taken away from disabled people you know that is why the general public doesn't really understand what you know when you tell them my child has been taken away from me they don't really understand because they what the social or the social services and the government and the media carry on is what they believe but now that channel five that channel five program has come out everybody has started understanding oh so this is what disabled people go through this is the impact of the mental health you know when you take a child of someone that is not disabled it's i know there's a mental health impact i know you understand but when you it is but comparing someone that has it yeah even enduring your disability yeah mm -hmm. then the little joy you have that is going to give you a little joy, which is your child, is being taken away from you. It's a double <laughs> mental, it's a double jeopardy, a mental jeopardy on yourself, which impacts on you greatly, which people don't really understand, you know. So it's it's like the thing that we, we are making noise, we are just like, hey, hey, listen to us, we want to make noise. No, because we know where it helped us. We're the one wearing the shoe. We know where to wear. That's why we're, we're, making, we're making the noise. Give us back our children. Give us that care act. Yeah. Look after us. You know, I remember the first time I heard about this, I met somebody and she was working in this field. And I think she was working for an organization in Cornwall, which was working with mothers to help them get their children back. And I just couldn't believe that this is something that was actually happening. And it was just children were taken away from women on the purely on the basis that that person was a disabled person. And it was Correct. it was really <laughs> You know. And it is still happening today, yes, which is was... what our campaign is about. We want to get it out there. We want to get this changed because disability is not harmful to children. And many disabilities are also genetic. And so often the mother might have the same disability and she is best placed to mm -hmm. help her child navigate <laughs> this situation their the disability the society around them they're often best placed as opposed to remove the child from that disabled mother and put them with non-disabled people who do not understand their disability and do not understand how to navigate that and how to deal with it because just because we as disabled mothers parent differently because we have to it doesn't mean it's wrong yeah. You know, it's just mm. we have to fit in with what mm. works for us. And I see nothing wrong with that. It does not make disability harmful. And also the other thing is that um, 
where, where it is a hereditary or, or the same as the mother is actually beneficial for the child. Yeah. Um, you know, because the mother understands the situation, is not is not prejudiced towards the child being disabled and mm. knows the coping, the ways of coping, can mm. teach the child the ways of coping that she uses. Mm. Um, you know, so it's actually more beneficial. And one of the one of the things that we've done is um, you know, work work among disability organizations and work among mm. social care campaigners. A lot of the social care campaigns have retired professionals in them who mm. are not used to treating disabled people as equals and yeah. are very unwilling to challenge the massive spending on child protection mm. that happens. Like, you know, some councils spend a million pounds a year on one child placement in institutional care. And support for the mother is a fraction mm. of that, but mm. no one wants to criticize child protection spending because of the small number of cases where children are tragically murdered or harmed. Yeah. And, you know, we've found like a lot of those murders are because social services have placed the child with a violent father, um, you know, because they don't take the violent fathers as a risk seriously, because mm -hmm. they, mm -hmm. they say that the child has to have contact with both parents. Mm -hmm has to have contact with the father. Yeah, it's just like, is a domestic, like if you're looking at domestic violence on a non-disabled person, let's say a non-disabled person, yes, is at risk of, but as a disabled person, you are twice the risk of having, of being in a, in a violent um, relationship. You know, sometimes we don't talk it out. We don't say it, we keep quiet because most of the, uh, the perpetrators are our people we depend on to take care of us. Then when the social services, when they find out, you know, when they find out, because you are the one that is disabled, you know, you don't look at the situation, look at it, you know, like when you are dealing with two non-disabled people, when you are dealing with one, um, a, a man that maybe is not as disabled as someone that's maybe is on a wheelchair, then you treat them like differently. You said, okay, no, you are, we have to take the child away from you. But I'm the one that's suffering, um, that suffered the violence. But they take the child away from me and give it to the person, transfer it to the person that is the person that's even bringing the violence to me. You know, that is, a, is always also ways that we, we ignore. We really ignore that domestic violence is something that we really, really ignore and that should be paid attention to because that is one of the ways that our children have been taken away from us. And yeah, and also generally, yeah, generally we are, you know, we our starting point is financial independence for disabled women as a protection against vulnerability to violence and to enable us to live independently. So we, um, you know, we want support services, but we also demand um, a care income. Mm -hmm. um, which is um, a call that has been put out by the Global Women's Strike, um, who we work with. And um, so it's recognition of all mothers, including disabled mothers. And mothers have been terribly demeaned under the um, benefit system. You know, like, um, you know, mothers are forced to do um, work-related activity when the child is very young 
I think it's from the age of three. Yeah. I think the I think four. It is. I think it's three. Um, you know, we want, like, for example, our, with other women's groups, we won that women who had just given birth should not have to attend a work-focused interview. Mm -hmm. So for the first year, you're exempted while your baby is up to one. After that, to get benefits, you have to comply with these work conditions. And, um, you know, they sanction mothers all the time. They, um, you know, we, we are involved in the campaigns for um, mothers who tragically died after they were cut off benefits, like Philippa Day, um, Jodie Whiting. Um, there was um, um, a mother and daughter, uh, Lillian Oluk and Lynn Matumba in Medway, who died in 2016 after social services stopped the mother's food vouchers because her asylum claim had been denied by the Home Office and they starved to death. And, you know, that's the kind of brutality which we're up against, particularly those of us who don't have, um, you know, British citizenship or UK, right, the right to stay in the UK and fighting. I don't know. Yeah. Can yeah, I'm I'm a British national, right? And I remember we were discussing this in one of our groups that even you know, like people on universal credit, um, who, for instance, if I in the in the accommodation I live in, this the the Wi-Fi, not the Wi-Fi, the um, you know, the what do they call it? You know, like the, the connection on my phone, it's not very good, okay? And I often have the calls coming in because they call you for these work-focused interviews, even though they know I'm really ill, and um. I couldn't, I couldn't go for, for a job and I couldn't be working at that time. They knew I had cancer and they knew I was going through treatment and I just came out of surgery. They didn't care because it didn't fit um, their kind of assessment yet at that point. And so they were still calling me and sometimes they couldn't get through on the phone. So they'd say, I didn't attend my appointment. And if I didn't chase that up, and I mean consistently, and I was so ill, you know, I was so ill, but I was really adamant that I'd chase it up and not let them get away with it. They were going to cut my benefits. It was like a sanction where they would just cut it until the next round where they would do another um, appointment and they'd call you. And if you missed that, the same thing would occur. So I remember we were discussing that we were going to try and get that looked at, actually, yeah. put the onus back on the Department of Work and Pension to prove that they've made that call rather than just saying that they had, for instance, and you know they they should they should follow it up as well if you're dealing with sick clients why are they treating us like we're not trying to do yeah. things you're really trying very hard you know but we're very very sick yeah i mean one of the terrible things about universal credit is that until they've made a decision on your work capability yeah. which can take months and months you still have to comply with the um the work conditions up until the point where they say you're exempted and before, under ESA, um, as long as you put your sick notes in, you didn't have to. You didn't have to go. So that's one of the terrible things about universal credit, which you know we we campaigned against universal credit because it cuts benefits. It cuts benefits to disabled children. It drives women back to the you know olden times when you're financially dependent on the the man of the family through the single payment to head of household 
and also women who left because of domestic violence were driven back because of the waiting time because yeah. of the waiting time for the money to come through it was just impossible to get the rent money in another place mm-hmm. and then and, and now um, you know jeremy hunt made a speech about how they were going to crack down on the economically inactive i mean frankly the ones they're talking about are family carers mm-hmm. and disabled women or mothers of disabled children that's who they're talking about and you have these people from these supposedly progressive think tanks i think there's one called onward which i think is very backward um which was talking about you know women women more women should be in wage work i mean those who those who can already do because that's how you that's how you escape the benefit cap is yeah. if you do part-time work 16 hours or more that's how you escape the benefit cap so when they brought the benefit cap in everyone who could get a part-time job did so the cap is hitting um, mothers and children fleeing domestic violence um, women with moderate disabilities who are unable to get wage work mothers of disabled children who have caring responsibilities and other other family carers. That's who they're calling economically inactive or people suffering long COVID. Mm-hmm. And it's so brutal and it's and it's you know it's not even realistic. It's not even accurate. It's just propaganda. Yeah. So it just makes me very angry. Sorry. There's there's <laughs> such a there's such a lot that you've all covered there. Thank you for that. That was amazing. It's um there's some things that before um, I was trying to like uh um here. I just wanted to like highlight about the asylum seeker. You know, Claire was talking about asylum seekers. You know, there's so many, you know, as a mod as an asylum seeker, you know, with the some people have been, uh, you know, there's no recourse to public fund if you're an asylum seeker. And also, if you, if you, if um, NAS, sometimes some people are not entitled to NAS, you know. So you, you, you just depend if you have can a partner. You, can you explain what NAS is? It's the National NAS Asylum Support. Support um, Scheme. National Asylum Support Scheme is an amount of money that is being given to um, asylum when you come into the country and you seek asylum is is a money that has been given to you is used to be during my time it was 36 pounds um it helps in your support like paying for getting groceries or topping up your phone and all those that's what um the money is for and some people are not entitled to it it's not everybody it's not that because you're asylum seeker you've been entitled to nurse no it's not compulsory some people have been denied nurse so if you're a mother and you have a child and you have a partner that is abusive if and the partner is the person that you get money from maybe the person works and you depend on the person the person is like you are like in a prison you know you're in the bondage with the person because you will take everything that he brings to your table and you won't be able to speak out you can't speak out, just like I said earlier, you can't be able to speak out because he is the person that provides money for you. He's the person, like I was speaking to a lady when I went for a conference in London like, during the weekend. The lady, she's not happy in the relationship, but she's 
she's in asylum seeker, she's awaiting her case. But she I told her, then why not leave the relationship? She said, why am I gonna leave? If I go to my aunties, they'll kick me out after two months. At least the man I'm staying with is paying for the rent. So, you know, she's not disabled, but you know, look at someone that is not non-disabled, then think of a situation where it was the disabled person that was in that kind of relationship. Then also, if it's a single mother with a child that doesn't get money, how long that is how people commit suicide that is how people die of hunger and the, the next thing you hear me somebody has passed somebody has passed away a asylum seeker has passed away nobody asked the question what happened nobody cared to like investigate what happened you know this is something we really need to look into and also like introduce um um we were, we're talking about claire and Wimbers, we're like introducing um abolishing no recourse to public fund for asylum seekers because it will really benefit um, um asylum seekers with more disabled asylum seekers with, with children so that their children will not be taken away from them you know yeah, and also yeah. also people seeking asylum are denied the right to work so yes. you're in a you're in a double bind because you're not mm. allowed to do wage work and you're mm. on you're either on a fraction of the um poverty line benefits or or if your case is refused you're not entitled to any support unless unless you're disabled and you can get a lawyer to apply to your local council for emergency um emergency support um you know just because of disability needs only uh, or you know, vulnerability my support was refused. I was refused. No, I don't have a child, but I was refused. My case was refused and, and my nurse was stopped. I wasn't getting anything. I went to council. They spoke to council. Council said, there's nothing we can do for you. We can't do anything. We're giving you carers. We're paying for your carers. We're paying your TV license. That's all we can do. You know, that was just it. I couldn't get yeah. groceries. It was true friends that had to organize campaign for me to be able to eat. You know, so if at all I didn't have friends, Tio, so what would have happened to me? <laughs> you know? You know, so. The whole thing, there's such a big range of issues there that you talked about. Um, one of the things at the heart of it for me, which comes out of all of your stories, really, is the understanding about violence and what violence is and about defining that. Because everybody knows physical violence. We all know what that looks like and we all fear it. But there's also hidden violence. And there's the violence of kind of, you know, the, the violence of somebody taking power and control away from you, coercive control, and all of those yep. different kinds of activity and different kinds of violence, which women are often subjected to, but which, you know, there's no bruise. There's no, you can't go and show something to somebody. But the reality is that you're in the house, you're entirely dependent on somebody else who is restricting your rights because they're exercising power and control over you. And it becomes I mean, even worse if the mother tries to flee that relationship absolutely. because social services get involved. And I'm sure Emily can speak to this. And um, they are trying desperately to flee coercive control. But the violent um, man uses the family courts as a further way of coercive control. And the family courts, as I said earlier, because they're closed, they're, they get away with it. And the courts are very sexist, basically, very misogynistic. 
and 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 they come from a point of view that that the mother is just withholding the child from the father because there's this thing in 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 the law that says presumption of contact mm. so we go from a disabled loving mother who flees a situation of coercive control the man then comes in and uses the courts coercively and then all of a sudden not only is her disability used against her where if they were still together her disability would not be used against her but mm. then the courts allow the men to say that the mother is parentally alienating the child from its father and I have to say to you, parental alienation is junk science that comes from America from 30 years ago from a, a, a paedophile psychiatrist, basically, who thinks it, who thought it was OK to have sex with children. And it was men's defense in court. And it's still being used behind closed doors today. So not only do the women have their disability used against them, they then have coercive control turned back on them in the form of parental alienation. Emily, I don't know if you want to speak to some of this because as a disabled mother, you have been directly affected. My case is, ugh, it's a bit hard to unpick. Um, well, in my case, for instance, I have to remain out in the community because of the way the court proceedings went. Um, and it, basically due to illness it's made things very 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 difficult so my ex-partner has used that against me to prevent me from seeing the children so refusing to bring the children to the area i lived in at the time i had left him so i ended up homeless and destitute um he played a lot of games he uh lied about his income and um all sorts of things so that really put me in a very difficult position um because you know you've got to go and prove all of this in court and it's got to be solid evidence and it's got to stand up certain rigorous tests and uh, all sorts of things it's like i don't have his bank statements i don't have evidence of x y and z so i can't prove certain things you know i don't go around collecting evidence like that um so yeah it just it turned against me personally um and it's meant that he has a lot of power and control so you know when i've been so ill i've not been able to get out of my bed i haven't seen my kids and when i've when i've had episodes and relapses in my health due to illness and just dis my disability essentially um he's prevented me from seeing the children you know he 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 uses these opportunities to prevent me from seeing the, ki the kids with no care for them that this is impacting them emotionally and psychologically um so yeah, it's it's extremely difficult. Sorry. And the courts do not protect disabled mothers from this situation. In fact, the courts always encourage the father's side and don't protect the mother's side at all. Can I just say something? Yeah, so, of course you can say yeah, something. The whole thing of, you know, you're flaky, you're unable to keep up with times, you know, you didn't get there for 9am, therefore, why should you see the children? It's this whole notion of you're just not trying hard enough, and it's like, you're so unwell that you can't make that commute. You're so unwell that it's a risk to get on the train. You're so unwell that you can't probably even physically do it, you know, and that's preventing you from seeing your children. But there's no care for that. There really is no care for that. And um, you've got to go to extreme lengths. So, for instance, in the very early days, if you don't have a diagnosis for why you're so ill, then you're seen as a problem. And in the early days, you may not have a diagnosis. It takes time for that to come through. So then, then you know, you, then you've got the whole thing of having to go back to court to prove it again that actually I was sick, therefore I couldn't do X, Y, Z. 
that's what's prevented me. It's not because I'm an uncaring parent or I haven't shown up or I'm untrustworthy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, these aren't my character. These are not these are not character flaws. This is because I'm ill. Do you know what I mean? There's this whole thing of women not being believed as well. What we hear is social workers saying to disabled mothers, well, you're lazy. If you really cared about your children, you would get up out of your wheelchair. You would do this. You would do that. You know, it's a real, real discrimination of, of disability and no understanding of of the impact on you and how you have to manage things differently. I mean, it's it's awful. What I wanted to just mention something else about violence, which is the the police response. I mean, we were we took part in the um, <clears throat> there was um, a protest um, at Southwark Crown Court organised by Women Against Rape, who we work with closely. And um, it was the sentencing of the serial rapist Metropolitan Policeman David Carrick. And, um, you know, when we had a speak out outside the court, we spoke about how um, disabled women are more likely to report rape, yet are more likely to be dismissed and mocked, you know, mocked, mocked on WhatsApp or mocked to our face. And and then, um, you know, also in the court system as well. Um, so it's actually, you know, worse for us than women generally, you know, how few cases go forward. And Women Against Rape has been saying that, in effect, rape has been decriminalised because the conviction rate has dropped from 6% to around 1%. And many women now won't won't report to the police or go to the police because you don't know you don't know how you're going to be treated and um you've got almost zero chance of it going forward and you could even put yourself more at risk because then the guy gets interviewed he knows you've reported and could come back at you so you know it's a very it's very dangerous I remember talking to a worker at the Women's Rape and Sexual Abuse Centre here in Cornwall, and I was asking her about, because they have, I think, three hostels to, for women to escape to in times of um, physical and sexual, sexual abuse. Um, so I asked her how many of those hostels had an accessible room in them. Mm -hmm. And I think <laughs> there was one bed in Cornwall at that time. There may be more now. This was a while ago, but I don't know. There was one bed in Cornwall, but it then got my mind thinking about how would you do that? If you're a woman at home with your husband um, and you receive a package of care from your social care, social services um, to help, help support you and you have a child, for example, and you wanted to escape an abusive relationship, how would you do that? You, with that package of care, it wouldn't travel. It wouldn't travel with you like that. And... To have it your child not. with you and to find an accessible room, it would be impossible. And that was just in Cornwall. And I was thinking, what's this like across the country? Is that must is that the same situation or are we unusual? It is. 
No, mm. there are hardly any. I mean, that is another reason why disabled women are deterred from um, leaving the violent relationships, mm. uh, because there isn't, you know, if they want to flee to a refuge, which people do turn to, there just aren't accessible refuges. <laughs> and as you say, most people would want you to be placed out of county and what that does is immediately affect your care package <laughs> as well so you're literally left with nothing and i also have to say they're also deterred by the fact that social services zoom in straight away and they see you as the problem because you didn't leave the abusive situation earlier they don't see the, the abuser as the problem. They see the victim as the problem. And that is where they take your children. They take your children and say, well, you should have left earlier. So we're just going to take your children. And in the future, you might get into a domestic abuse relationship in, in the future. So we'll take any future children you might have as well. And because it happens behind closed doors, people don't realize that this is what's happening to, to women and especially, obviously, disabled women. I mean, a, a lot of things... Also, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Kalechi. Oh, sorry, yeah. I wanted to say, Tracy, until you can use care package in, in, um, in, a, in a refuge home, because I was in a refuge after, after, my, after um, I was taken away by the police after the domestic violence I experienced. They don't use care package in the, in, because of confidentiality, because they are scared if a, if a carer comes in or someone comes in and sees the woman that might know and can't tell their husbands or their abusers where they are. So care packages are not used, can be used in a, in a, in a refuge, women's refuge, if you've gone through violence. Right. Yeah. And I mean, as a lot of women, a lot of women mm. end up in, a, in like a care home because that's um, that's the only place the council can think of to place you. Yeah, because it's not accessible for me. It was hard to find an accessible place for me. It was hard. I was moved from the hostel where I was to another hostel, that's a university hostel, to another university, another campus, sorry, campus. And the perpetrator found me there. So they, they said, oh no, we'll have to move you to a women's refuge now. Then they were not trying to find out where to move me because where I was, there was no access. There was not, not accessibility there. They said, can we move you outside your serene where you are? But the university was like, this girl has to study. She's about to start her exams. She, we can't allow you to move her out of the university serene. So they had to take their time to find me a place to stay. <laughs> and that was not even really conducive. That was, <laughs> it was like, because I was the only black person there, you know, it was like different. It was like a different scenario, you know? So it's like, if you're moving from violence, but to disabled person, a woman moving from violence into a woman's refuge. Sometimes people think that, oh, if you're in a refuge, so you're safe there. But they don't understand the abuse, the violence that you experience inside the refuge as a disabled woman. You know, considering your accessibilities and other issues around it, which people don't understand, which people take for granted. And, yeah. And another thing that occurred to me was very strongly that I was talking to this a different woman who worked at the same place, and she said that a lot of domestic abuse and sexual violence happens and is about power. It's not about sex or 
relationships, but it's about power relationships between people. And I was talking to her and I said, well, that's amazing because I personally, for example, I have multiple sclerosis. I use an electric scooter to get around. Um, but the relationships for, if you're, if you're a woman in a relationship, you might meet up with a partner and get together and you're both walking and talking and doing everything. And gradually over time, your status changes because of your impairments, your medical condition might change over time. Um, so the power relationships can change. And so that can be dangerous in terms of trying to escape domestic abuse for women when their power relationship changes with their partner, when it's no longer equal in that kind of way. Yeah, well, in fact, a lot of um, women in couples, uh, when women become disabled, the partner does walk out, sadly, because he never bargained to be a carer. Yeah. And um, and also the um, support isn't there from the council mm -hmm. once again. So um, and then the, the single mums get targeted by social services, as as we've been describing more than women in couples, although women in couples are not immune from the investigation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, based on disability discrimination, women in couples are still investigated. Um, you know, but that's that's the sad reality is that, um, you know, although there are some wonderful men who um, do value us, a lot of guys mm. do walk out as well. And so we've, talked about, we've talked about a lot of things and all of these things have been um, very negative. The work of Wind Visible, <laughs> what, is, is there other work that you do? Well, we've we've had a great time. I mean, we we do we do help women to win big um, big benefit amounts. Uh, like there's a woman that we supported who um, who was going for a PIP review, who um, is a dialysis patient, and she had been refused by DWP, and we helped her to get four thousand um, pounds increase backdated and then when she when she rang up um the benefit people to ask them you know just to check something they said oh you should be getting severe disability premium on top of your ESA because you're getting PIP um so she then got a further amount from the severe disability premium back payment that they said is very underclaimed yeah. so we you know we win a lot of benefits and we win um having um having debts written off and we've done a lot with the campaign against the prepay meters which are now have now um you know the forced prepay meters have now been stopped by a judge's ruling saying that magistrates should not approve these warrants to go into people's home and forcibly fit the prepay meter. Um, that's an ongoing campaign. And we've had a lovely time with our sisters from the National Federation of the Blind um, campaigning to keep train staff in the ticket yeah. offices, on the platforms and on the train. They've been fantastic to work with. They are from Leicestershire and Warwickshire. And um, 
have particularly have particularly highlighted how disabled women in rural areas mm. are not able to use our local stations um, late at night or at weekends when it's unstaffed. Um, so you know we've that has been very valuable and we've really appreciated working together on. And so with your thoughts, how many, um, what's the capacity of your organisation? How many of you are there? How many staff are there? And We have a small staff team. Um, we've been described as punching above our weight in terms of what we achieve. Because, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, everyone here is, you know, a lot of women volunteer as well. And everyone's very passionate, as you can tell. <laughs> So we do achieve a lot and um, women women who are fighting their own case get a lot of um, energy and um, encouragement from being together. So are determined to kind of carry on and not give up. So, um, you know, we do make a big difference far beyond our actual size as an organisation. Brilliant. Definitely. We work, we, um, when Visible and the Disabled Mothers' Rights Campaign are part of Support Not Separation, which is, uh, uh, um, works on a lot of cases, on a lot of the mothers' cases that you hear us talking about. Um, uh, they do a lot of campaigning as well, but they also have monthly support meetings um, where they can empower women together and help them through their cases. And they do have um, quite a bit of success within the family cases. And they also pick it outside um, the central family court on the first Wednesday of the month. And I have to say, obviously I go and speak for the Disabled Mothers' Rights Campaign. Um, we are spoken about inside the court and, we, and the success there. And I have to say, we, as women, the success is that um, just recently, because one of our things that we campaign about is open the court so that we can hear all this injustice that you're hearing right now. And um, so the president has decided that he'll do a pilot scheme and three courts will be open. Sadly, it's none of the London courts uh, mm -hmm. where the big juicy cases are, but it's a start. And that has come from it's going to be our anniversary on International Women's Day um, of six years of standing outside the family courts and picketing and shouting about out about all the injustices that go on. So on International Women's Day, it will be the anniversary for support, not separation. And and I think there's there's been a lot of change by standing out there and, and campaigning. So you um, you said earlier that you are based in London, but you you take on cases and you work nationally. Do you do you have yes, a website? Yes. Yes, it's winvisible.org. So that's W I N V I S I B L E dot org. And so, so anybody, if there's any organizations that are listening to this podcast or watching this, they can get in contact with you or any of their clients can get in contact with you for information and advice and maybe even perhaps some help. Yes, we have we have various um self-help information and news on our blog and um, the Women's Centre phone is open and the Women's Centre has a drop-in Tuesday to Thursday um, as well so um, 
you know, we are we're available if you would like to get in touch. Also on Twitter, um, Twitter DM. Um, so yeah, look forward to being in touch with people, and please get involved in our campaigns and help us win. Yeah, and <laughs> when this invisible is the acronym, and is uh, women with the uh, visible and invisible disabilities, and mm. yeah. I don't know, Clay, if you said in the beginning, so. No, thanks for saying <laughs> that. So it's not only for women with invisible disabilities. No, it's the women with visible and invisible disabilities. So, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Hey, listen, that's been very um, thought-provoking and um, interesting, and uh, there's, a, there's a lot there to digest. Yes. <laughs> there sure is it's amazing <laughs> you know it just occurs to me that throughout whatever you're saying about women and mothers and dis mothers disabled mothers with their children i mean there's united nations convention on the rights of people with disabilities and one yes. of those obviously is the right to family life <laughs> correct where did that go well we have been highlighting that and in fact that was quoted by the president of the family court yes surprise surprise in relation to mothers <laughs> with learning disabilities but you know we're you know we're saying um we have the right to to start a family and be supported in doing so that's what the convention says the charter and, the charter we're putting forward and we're working on a charter yes thank you emily <laughs> and what's the Watch charter space. yeah <laughs> What's the charter the char will be our demands to uh, social services and family courts, basically, I mean, demanding our rights, but really laying it out for them um, so that they stop taking our children because we are disabled to 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 give us, you know, equality in family courts behind closed doors. And until the family courts are open, these injustices will absolutely continue. And so we have to campaign hard and strong for these courts to be open so that the general public can see what's going on. They can see that's a disabled mother. Why are you not giving her access, you know, to her paperwork, to access to the court? If you're in a wheelchair, some courts aren't even accessible. Um, these are the injustices. And what they say is, well, if you can't get into court, if you can't read your papers in court, how can you look after a child? It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. And it has to be seen as very different, <laughs> looking after a child and racing into an official yeah. building and being pressurised with court paperwork. Yeah, they don't recognise the mother-child bond. and Or the um, trauma the child, that they create. Yeah, and, the you know, the child wants that mother regardless of disability that is yeah. the mother that the child knows hey listen it's been very, note, yeah. been very good talking to you thank you it's been nice. thank you for inviting us it's been very thank nice you very much to you. Theo thank you, Theo. Um, thank you for your thank time thank you everyone who's been and, on um, wishing you all the best for the future thank you thank, thank you. you and happy nice international women's day Yes, National happy Women's International Day. Women's Day. National Women's Day is Wednesday, the 8th of Wednesday. March, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yep. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. Stay safe. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.